0: What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Mind Your Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Shelton. And today, we are talking with David Burke. David is the co-founder and CRO at Beacon, Beacon Talent. So we get into really... Ins and outs of hiring, the challenges businesses face, how to overcome them, why you need a diverse company, talking about inclusion. There's a lot that goes on in this episode, all with talent acquisition. So if you're in a hiring position or you're looking at growing your company, this is definitely the episode for you. All right. But before we get into that, got to remind you that the show is brought to you by Cave Social. Cave Social is a marketing agency based out of Los Angeles that can help you create social media content and grow your social media accounts, ultimately driving revenue for your business. So if you need help on social media, go over to cavesocial.com, hit that contact us, book a free consultation, and they'll be able to help you out. All right, sit back, relax, enjoy this episode. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Mind Your Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Shelton. Today, I am sitting with David Burke. He is the co-founder and CRO, Chief Recruitment Officer at Beacon. David, welcome to the show.
1: Jordan, thanks for having me.
0: I'm excited, man. We haven't gotten into the importance of talent hiring too much on this show yet, but it's obviously pivotal to company growth. So I'm excited to hear about that. But before we hop in, tell me a little bit about your story and how you got to where you're at with co-founding Beacon.
1: Yeah, for sure. I started in finance, actually selling credit derivative swaps back in the day and then sort of fell into executive search in New York. I was recruited to a recruiting agency by a recruiter, which is very meta. But you know, kind of <laughs> learned the like you know executive search ecosystem, which I, I think is a lot of smoke and mirrors when you think about it. I sat in a bullpen with a bunch of guys calling on people and and really trying to broker you know transactions, which is moving people from one shop to another shop. The whole market fell out in two thousand and nine when the economy collapsed, and so uh, myself and other guys started up a talent business that was more oriented around first and foremost. Engineers, data scientists. We worked with a lot of companies in, like, kind of the quant hedge fund space. Uh, But then also, we pivoted into more consultative services, working with companies to help thinking about scaling their talent programs. That sort of evolved over four years. We ended up selling the business to what at the time was called Developer Auction, which was like a Y Combinator upstart that ended up becoming hired.com. So, Joined there myself, a couple of members of our team back when it was really kind of the original. I think mean, it was like five of us in a room basically when we started that. Saw so really kind of fast growth. I would say that was my introduction to you know sort of traditional VC back rapid growth tech. We scaled to about 300 people, about 80 million in revenue over about a three and a half year period. And there, I really played all sorts of different roles from sales to operations, marketing, business intelligence, you name it, you know, like at that sort of stage of growth, you're kind of just picking up whatever problems there are and trying to knock them out and hand them off to somebody else. So did that ended up moving into more kind of growth and marketing and operations roles at a couple different companies, one called Harry, which is a New York company based in kind of the like hospitality and retail space, and then went over to Porch, which was like a home services platform marketplace. So Hired was also a marketplace. So a lot of my experience has been at the intersection of, of different sort of tech enabled marketplaces. But, you know, it was interesting in all of those experiences, we kept sort of seeing you know, one of the negative outcomes of rapid growth is like you start to see big problems emerge, you know, like, well, we didn't hit sales targets and not hitting sales targets is a really big deal when you're starting to like look at, you know, million dollar quarterly quotas. Then from there, you see like, oh, we didn't ship this product on time or whatever it might be. And, and what I kept seeing was that these big, big problems we were trying to tackle, they always... Start started as hiring problems. You know, it was always we failed to hire the right leader. We failed to bring in the right ICs, you know, at the right time. And so myself and the former chief marketing officer of Hired, a guy named Juni Hum, we kind of got together and lamented over the same issue we kept seeing over and over. And we sort of said, you know, we should design a service, a really like a white glove, High-touch offering where we can go work with founders, work with early-stage companies before they've like really hit that inflection point to help them think about talent the right way to like learn those best practices, to understand and sort of see around the next corner about what they're going to be dealing with as they grow from you know 10 people to 100 people to 200, 300 people. That's when if you haven't laid those foundations for talent, I mean everything else ultimately is a function of that. And so uh, that's sort of what got us excited about you know what today is vegan.
0: Very cool. And and it's so true. And one of the things that anyone who started a company or has been in a hiring position knows is you're told, hey, go add five people or whatever, five developers, 10 developers, or maybe you need 25. And that can see it's an addition to the existing work uh, and existing management, especially when a founder has all the things going on already of I got to worry about fundraising or Hitting sales quotas, selling, managing existing team, bringing people in, setting the mission and establishing the culture. You know, hiring can kind of fall to the wayside or it becomes like, oh, just go fill those. Right. And then that's the ultimate, uh, at least in my experience, the demise is when you just start like, we just need a body. And without having yeah. those proper safeguards in place, right, which it sounds like Beacon kind of you're taking that experience of working with a big company walking in and being like oh no you're going to need this next like we'll come in and you're going to need these types of positions next so are you going in and taking on that advisory role too to be like i think you're going to need a head of hr you know or something like that as you yeah. look at like a company growth strategy
1: yeah, totally. So, two things on like that. One is you're absolutely right. You know, you find all these people are moonlighting as a recruiter. You know, it's like your head of marketing <laughs> is moonlighting as a recruiter, your head of sales. And imagine the parallel if you're like, hey, engineer, I need you to pick up a sales quota this quarter, right? I need you to be able to go in there and you know, drive another 100,000 in revenue for us. Like, no one would ever feasibly do that. And yet, when it comes to talent, and if you ask a founder, you know, you ask founders, like, what is the thing that keeps you up at night? I guarantee you talent's always like in the top three. And yet, in practice, We treat it like it's something that doesn't require a lot of operational excellence. It doesn't require a lot of resourcing. And I think that's where most companies really miss it. And so, yeah, that's a big, big piece of it. Think about, you're a 10-person company, you're an amoeba. You know, you haven't gone through like cellular division yet, you you haven't started to build functional departments and, you know, structure into your organization and any company that is going to grow and be able to scale, you know, there has to be clearly defined functions, departments, roles and responsibilities. And so there's a very organic process that takes place, which is. you you hire this person who's like, you know, call them your chief commercial officer or revenue officer or VP of sales, whatever it might be. That person's got some combination of sales development, um, actual account executive work, marketing, and like the myriad of things that exist within marketing. And as you start to grow, inevitably, those things start to form, you know, their own departments, right? You begin to see how each department kind of evolves. And so a big part of what we do when we work with companies is is help them think about as a function of the nature of their business, what are the things that they're going to actually need to formalize, right? What's the next? organ their kind of body, you know, their organizational body is gonna need in order to like continue to exist.
0: It makes sense. And I think you hit the nail on the head too, where you're like, when you're in that small company, right? And I even can look at our company where there's seven people and it starts to be like adding that eighth person, it's like, it's very important who gets added into the mix too. And I want to talk about that a little bit is how do you navigate or recommend companies navigate when they have, and I guess any size, but really uh pre-existing culture. And then looking for or setting up systems to ensure that people who they are recruiting and going after will be culture fit, will be you know provide utility past just the the CV and what it looks like. Are there anything that you do that when you go in with these companies to say, hey, you know this is how we're going to ensure that this person is a culture fit?
1: Yeah, so great question, and and actually one of the things I talk about a lot with everyone we work with is the concept of culture fit. Right, it's one of the most important things that needs to be unpacked. And you know the reality is, first and foremost, whatever your culture is, if you're a seven or a ten person company, your culture is not going to be that when you're a hundred person company. Right, culture is evolving; it's ever evolving and changing, and you only have so much control over it. You know, it's it's helpful to define what culture actually means, right? The best definition I've sort of ever heard is that culture is the combination of shared beliefs and shared rituals right? And that usually plays out in your value statements. So companies set their values, you know, you get an executive team offsite, they go and they're like, Oh, let's let's spend two days in Napa talking about our values. And you, know, you get like some you know, doctrine that you put together with 10 bullet points on it, and you staple it to the wall. And that's the value set. But yeah, that like, it rarely does that work, actually, right? Values are things that have to um, continue to be shaped and grow and evolve as organizations grow and evolve. And every time you bring people in, one thing people talk about is no longer culture fit, but culture additive, right? It's somebody adding to the culture. And I don't think culture is necessarily good Mm -hmm. or bad, right? Like you look at the finance industry, there's a very, very strong culture there. It's very competitive, whatever else you look at the tech industry, that culture doesn't work in the tech industry. So it's better to think about culture in terms of being like strong or weak. And I think different companies, every company wants to strive towards a strong sense of culture. But one of the biggest issues I run into as people are starting to assess candidates, screen candidates, go through the interview process is, you know, culture fit. You get into a debrief where everybody gets together and like, so what do we think? Should we hire this person? Someone says, I thought they were a culture fit. Someone says, I didn't think they were a culture fit. It's super vague and ambiguous. If I surveyed that room and said, tell me the four things that actually describe culture fit for you, I'm going to get like 50 different answers, right? And so a big part of the process that we do at Beacon is about trying to formalize and create definition and process around interviewing. So what do we actually care about? Do we care about communication? Do we care about somebody being proactive? Do we care about certain skills that somebody has? Um, Culture fit becomes a really convenient catch-all that people can use to sort of exert their biases for or against somebody. And it's a tricky thing. It really is. So it's something we talk a lot about is is kind of this concept of culture fit and how it can really be problematic for companies because it allows them to avoid being explicit about what they're really looking for in an individual. And it avoids them, uh, allows them to avoid being explicit about what culture actually means to them as an organization,
0: it's interesting you bring that up too. And then, like, also going into that because a lot of times, it once again in my experience is like seeing, oh, that person's a culture fit is that person saying, well, that person's like me, or that person has my shared values. But you actually need to bring in people who maybe think differently for different positions, so you don't end up with twenty six people who all share the ex- have the exact same. But you don't need to end up in a company with 26 of the same people, <laughs> essentially, right?
1: You know, D&I, right? Diversity, equity, and inclusion is a really hot topic right now. And, and actually, companies often will talk to us and say, how do we get better at D&I? You know, I'd start with like, start with why, right? Simon Sinek does a good job of saying like, start with why. I think you actually just hit the nail on the head when you talk about why is diversity important. It's not important because it's a fad, right? It's not important because it feels good. If you're a business person, diversity is important because it creates more resiliency in your organization because you have more diverse perspectives, you have more productive conflict and different experiences that can bounce against each other. And second, it's actually an opportunity for growth, right? And innovation, like bringing diverse perspectives, experiences, ideas. That's what's going to help people continue to innovate and drive, you know, iron sharpens iron. You want you want that sort of constructive conflict that drives innovation. And that's why I think diversity is, it's not just like a nice to have, it's a must have. It's, it's like literally the thing that will keep your business growing how many companies end up doing something completely different from what they started doing, right? Like 90% of them. And the reason they're able to make that transition from whatever it is they thought they were setting out to do to whatever it is that actually makes them a successful company, is that they were able to innovate along the way.
0: It's so true. And it, as much as you know, you're know, you saying, it's like iron sharpens iron when you have these different ideas that come to the place and diversity is mandatory. It really is because if you have 20 people who are all thinking the same way and you don't have that diversity, you're literally inviting blind spots into your company, into your messaging, into how you fit, how do you operate everything. It's imperative to company growth, to perspective, to see how you fit in the marketplace. And like you said, to have that iron sharpening iron type of perspective. Totally. And if
1: you're in a B2C business, You know, if you're B2C, I mean, diversity is even more critical because think about like taking it back to finance, right? Like, why is E Trade and Schwab and all of the like, you know, old school, you know, trading platforms just getting their lunch eaten by Robinhood right now? It's because literally the people operating at those companies do not reflect the the users of their products. And so that's where they're missing out big time on how their actual customer base is changing, how their preferences and motivations and fears are evolving and changing. If you can't reflect in your organization, the customers that you're serving, it's a huge blind spot for you. It's a huge risk as a business.
0: And that's... Yeah, that goes for a lot of things. Um, And kind of pivoting off that a little bit, how then has hiring changed or has procedurally, has it changed to kind of help ensure that a company? or if someone's listening to this and they're a hiring manager and they're like, okay, David, Jordan, that sounds great, but what do I do? Instead of just like trying to fill a box or make a quota or something where they're feeling like that the advice or that there's no clear direction on that. What's a starting point for somebody who's looking at that as like, Hey, I'm growing my company, maybe I have eight people, I'm ramping to thirty, and I wanna ensure that I'm not ending up with the same twenty five people at my company. What kind a of monoculture? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, and it's funny because we feel this a lot in the work that we do. And, and look, you know, unfortunately, the first reaction most people have, and it's human people are they want to solve a problem. So the first problem they think to solve is like, how do we get a more diverse hiring pipeline? Right? How do we get more diverse candidates? And, you know, my response to that is like, look, you could hire all the diverse people you want in the world, but it kind of starts with culture. If you don't have a culture of inclusivity, how are you going to retain diverse people? right? If you're going to hire diverse people who don't feel comfortable coming to work on a day over day basis, then they're going to turn out, you're going to spend a lot of money and time and effort really not solving the problem at all. And so I would say unequivocally, it starts with culture. It starts with thinking about, are we fostering a inclusive culture? And do those shared beliefs and those shared rituals that we lean on, Do those support an inclusive culture or are those actually helping support more of an exclusive culture?
0: And that is huge. And I'm happy you brought it up is looking at like, it's not only diversity that we have to be going after, but inclusion. And it starts with inclusion. And looking at that cost, right? The cost of if you're not able to hold on to talent. I think, what's it, in the Bay Area, people stay at companies for like a year and a half. And it's just this constant, like you're on the flywheel, just constantly people in. 18 months later, you have to just replace, replace, replace. And to me, that seems very broken. But I'd love to get your perspective on, yeah, like what's going on in those markets that's causing that type of turnover, people <laughs> leaving every 18 months.
1: Well, I, I'll give you my response for that, which is also interesting, I think particularly in the Bay Area. So people in the Bay Area talk a lot about missionaries versus mercenaries, right? And you know, look, if you've done a tour of duty at two or three different tech companies, the reality is for early growth stage companies, you're usually taking a a haircut on actual cash compensation and you're making up for it in equity, right? But any VC investor will tell you that one out of every 20 companies is the one that's gonna pay back all the 19 losses that they took. And so that's fine if you're an investor and you can simultaneously invest in 50 different companies, but it's not great if you're an employee, right? Because an employee, you have to commit to a 12 month cliff to get that equity and usually a four year vesting cycle to be able to get it all. So you have to commit four years of your life just to be able to collect a, some modicum of equity from that one company, and you don't know if that's the one that's going to hit. And so, what's interesting actually is I believe the entire sort of equity paradigm in you know most of the VC tech-backed businesses right now. Incentivizes people to stick around for a year, collect their cliff, and then move on to the next one because you want to optimize your chances for being at a unicorn, right? And you're not going to do that sitting around at one spot for four years. So I think there's some actual real kind of like fundamental foundational issues that are driving that type of turnover that, that you're talking about.
0: You're incentivizing the hedging, right? Like I want to hedge my bet over and over and over again. So yeah. And then if I look at the numbers, I'm going to play it like a VC where I can get my equity through, you know, like you said, the lower compensation and sweat, I can get the equity. And then, yeah, why wouldn't I move on to the next one? Because uh, anyone okay. who's worked in a startup, myself included, have worked for stock or shares. And I, I still think I have stock notes of companies that have <laughs> or shares of, from companies that have gone on. Right. Like, cool. And you got to pay fun. for
1: them when you leave. You don't know when you're going <laughs> to exercise. You got to pay ta- tax on them too. I mean, as an employee, the whole stock thing is sort of a, it's a bad deal.
0: It's interesting, right, to think about that, that it fundamentally is incentivizing you to go elsewhere. That's the in the Bay Area in particular, right?
1: Well, and that plays out in sales organizations, too, because think about for a salesperson also, you know, look, look, you're a venture backed business. In most cases, you're not generating revenue, right? <laughs> you're burning, you're trying to minimize burn. So for sales organizations, it's, uh, you know, there will still be commissions, but like, it's pretty hard to get a meaningful upside on commission when you're selling and the business itself is not fundamentally turning a profit, right? And so in particular, I think that's one of the challenges we see with salespeople Is early stage companies want to hire the best of the best salespeople, the best of the best salespeople are making you know, three, four or 500K a year at established businesses that are generating profit that can pay them out large commission checks.
0: Yeah. You see those people jumping to places like Salesforce because they know they can get the check there. So then in this hypothetical world or not, if I set a hypothetical stage, right, where there's a company, it's got 25 employees and they don't want to do something. How would you advise these companies when you work with them to retain people past, you know, that, that one year cliff?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, as a founder, I think it goes back to this paradigm of, of missionaries versus mercenaries, right? And look, it, you know, you have to hire both. I think one is you should probably price in some turnover, it's just going to happen. But you also want to mitigate that turnover as much as possible. And this goes right back to culture. How do you create a culture? Because also, you know, we talk to a ton of people, job seekers, and look, compensation is almost never the number one thing that they're paying attention to, right? The, actually, the number one thing, and there's a great book that Reid Hoffman wrote called The Alliance, which we use a lot when we talk with people, and you know, he described this concept of tours of duty, right? Like we, we don't live in our parents, you know, corporate ladder, or General Electric world anymore, so. The concept of like, you're going to go up some linear ladder is just, it's just not the case. Most careers are going to be built in more of like a a lateral way. People are going to make kind of different moves. People end up getting rewarded for having a diversity of experiences. And so in every role, in every job, it's important that both the employer and the employee align at the outset on what is going to be accomplished in this role over what time frame. right? A lot of companies now adopt like an OKR type strategy. And the idea is like, let's set some like clear outcomes, some objectives that need to be achieved. And then let's talk about you know what the timeline is to achieve those things and the things that need to happen to get there. And you can actually think about that in the context of an individual's role. And somebody might have two or three or four tours of duty at one company, or they might have a single tour of duty at that company, uh, and then move on to the next one. But the idea is that at the outset of that engagement and that relationship, you've oriented around, hey, look, employer, these are the things you're going to get out of my time and efforts here. And these are the things I'm going to get out of my time and efforts here. You know, like We had a guy at Hired who came in, he'd never been able to sort of build an end-to-end sales force, implementation. And we were like, look, let's you do it. We want you to do it. We want you to figure it out. We want you to talk to the experts. We want you to actually run the process and the program internally and get it done. He did it. it. took six months. It turned out great. After that, we didn't need him. And he moved on to his next thing. But now under his belt, he had this whole Salesforce implementation, which he could say, look, I hired, I did this. I was able to actually drive this outcome. The teams had huge productivity gains. He was super desirable. Since then, he's been able to go in and actually level up his ability to be more of like a sales leader because he actually has that that tool in his tool set
0: but that mutually beneficial positioning at the outset is to say in really clearly defining that
1: exactly you know and it's like we think about it, not all retention is bad right there's regrettable atten- retention and there's non-regrettable attention where it's sort of like okay that was a good thing and that was actually non-regrettable it was like hey that tour of duty finished up we got way more value out of you know the work that you did than what we paid you for And ultimately, you were able to level up your skill set. That's a good thing. It's a win-win for everybody. So I think it starts by orienting around that type of a concept, first and foremost.
0: Yeah, I I think that's so important. And that comes to really just clearly communicating, right? And understanding those OKRs that you can work with, that companies work like that, but then working like that on the individual level and really reverse engineering. Like, what can we do? Like, this is the outcome we want. Okay, what do we need to happen? And what's that timeframe look like? It's Because then it's that it's mutually beneficial, which is, what we're all going for right
1: <laughs> it is and it, and it allows us to be more dynamic you know both as kind of employers slash companies organizations as well as kind of individuals slash professionals and to be just you know a little bit more flexible in how we think about kind of career and growth
0: I love it spot on david before i let you go let people know where they can learn more about beacon and connect with you online
1: our website is beacon on linkedin we're on our website. <laughs> we're out there. Drop me a line. And also a lot of the times when we work with earlier stage companies, you know, we usually like to do kind of a, a just initial set of consulting with them just to orient ourselves. Like not every company is a great fit for us. We're not a great fit for every company. So for folks who are interested in kind of just learning more about our philosophy and our approach, we're always happy to kind of just jump on a call and, and talk through the challenges, see what the opportunities are, and then you know sort of assess if there's a fit.
0: Awesome. You guys, I will put all the links to Beacon. I will also put a link to that Reed Hoffman book into the show notes. So wherever you are listening to podcasts, head to the show notes and I'll have all that information there. David, thanks again for coming on. I appreciate it. Yeah, Jordan, great speaking with you. Thanks for having me. All right, everybody. That's it for the episode. I'm your host, Jordan Shelton, and I'll catch you next time.